Good evening, afternoon, or morning, wherever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode two of Keys, Weights, and T-Bone Steak, starring Nick Mann and myself, Will Max, <laughs> on this fine evening in Melbourne. How's things been, Nick? Yeah, all right, man. Doing all right. Yeah. What's you been up to? Training, working, getting by, mate. Uh, Nick Mann's more than getting by, ladies and gentlemen. He's a <laughs> highly sought-after strength and conditioning coach. He's got so many clients, he's knocking them back. Isn't that right, Nick? That's right. Knocking them all back. I don't even want to see the ones I've got. <laughs> <laughs> Knock them out, too. Is that right? <laughs> um, so, ladies and gentlemen, today we are going to talk about the numerous topics, but one of them being the difference between a martial artist and a fighter. Now, this is something that Nick... Shouting a little bit. <laughs> Shout me some dinner. <laughs> um, oh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Nick. Yeah. Nick mentioned <laughs> the concept of a martial artist versus fighter. Uh, Nick, you want to start this one off? Um, yeah. Will, what's uh, what's been going on with you, mate? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm all right, mate. I've just been. Uh, I got a a few exams coming up, and I've been training jujitsu in secret every day with a few of my pals, and lifting some weights and eating. Yet to be T-bone steak, <laughs> but it was scotch or sirloin steak the oh. other night. Oh, it's not as good as the T-bone. Yeah. When Footscray Markets open, mate, we'll be back on the two kilogram T-bone for $20. Uh, so uh, what, are you, what are you studying? You said you're doing some exams, mate? Yep. I am finishing my master's MBA, specializing in finance. Yeah. Working yep. for that dollar. Working for that dollar. Um, I have mentioned to you that... I will be doing part-time strength conditioning work um, <clears throat> at the moment and depending on how things go. But my long-term goal is to also be a uh, wealth management investment consultant in the finance game. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. Throwing your hat in the, that game. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was, I was there a few years ago, Nick, and I'm going to go back there again now. But again, working for myself, not for the man. I'll always be working with the man, like the Nick man, but not <laughs> working for the man anytime soon. <laughs> uh, what's, your, what's your training been like? Uh, pretty good, mate. Uh, four or five days a week, we do jiu-jitsu drills, gi or no gi, um, at a secret location that I can't, I can't say. We're just drilling. We're not. We're not really There's no sweat or anything. <laughs> <laughs> you stop as soon as you <laughs> train too hard, right, fellas. Right. It's the essence of jujitsu, isn't it? Uh, not training hard and taking it easy. You know, this, this bloody stupid sanctioned so-called COVID crap. Yeah. You know, so you know, I have to keep my 1.5 meter distance, and you know, you can't. Uh, How do you do that while you're practicing jujitsu? Are uh, we? Yeah, well, it's kind of hard, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so I say, screw the tyranny. <laughs> I say, screw lockdown. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, you've got to keep living your life, ladies and gentlemen. You've got to keep living your life. So is there anything you're working on in particular, Jiu-Jitsu, anything? Um, actually, yeah, mate. Uh, the reverse Delahiva guard is something that I have been exploring quite a bit. And uh, the essence of leg locks and uh, foot locks, which you're quite specialized in, right, Nick, with, through Gonquan? Yeah, yeah. I was always a big fan of leg locks. Always liked uh, Ken Shamrock. Always a mark of his. Oh, yeah. So um, kind of got me into leg locks in the first place. Just being a fan of his. But it's all the range now, isn't it? Leg locks. Like, it is. I remember rolling when I was more inclined to, to do jiu-jitsu like it 10 years ago or so. And no one was doing leg locks at all. It was only brown belts and above. And even then, that was just like the straight Achilles lock. Not many yeah. people were doing them. But now, every man and his fucking dog is doing the leg exactly. lock Exactly. And the funny thing is I've spoken to a friend the other day. And he, he went to a, a, 
a uh, MMA camp. He wasn't training MMA. He was only there to do jiu-jitsu and a bit of Thai boxing. No fight coming Wait, up. Where was this? Tiger Muay Thai. Tiger Muay Thai, okay. And this friend of mine said that he was doing a, a somewhat light roll with a blue belt <laughs> who pulled a scissor takedown into a fucking calf slicer. Or oh, was it a heel hook? It was a heel hook. That's right. A stupid scissor takedown to a heel hook. I mean, first of all, why would you teach that in class? Second of all, why would you teach a blue belt, you know, a heel hook? And, and third of all, what was that idiot doing, pulling that off in a training situation? What do you reckon, Nick? Right, so your friend was a blue belt as well. So they're both Oh, uh, no, my, fl- my friend is a purple belt and uh, a decorated purple belt. Right, so he, he was cleared to do leg locks then? Well, technically, no. Technically, leg locks and those... Well, technically, heel hooks only for black belts. Still, that yes. hasn't changed. And, well, depending on the academy, some academies teach leg locks to lower grades if they think they're competent, not going to hurt themselves and their training partner. But the rule of thumb is you start to uh, practice leg locks in a situational role or an actual role, mm. purple belt, or sometimes, I say, brown belts or above. Right. Yeah, I've never been a fan of that. I think... Um... Like locks yeah. should be taught at all ages. Yep. But like, uh, I guess with grappling, if you're hierarchy, there's no point teaching someone leg locks if they can't pass guard or exactly. get off their back. Exactly. That kind of thing. But I ever like the way jiu-jitsu sort of frowned upon leg locks. At least they did well, when I was training it. <clears throat> and no one knew how to defend them. No yeah. one had any game in them. Uh, obviously, that's changed because someone came along and started leg locking everyone. Everyone yeah. decided they got to learn them. Yeah. I always like guys like Eric Paulson and uh, Gokor. Mm-hmm. Well, I think their leg lock game is a bit simple by today's mm-hmm. standards. I don't know, GoCore is a proponent of teaching at all ages, all training ages, the leg lock game. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, obviously the, the big stars of, of the leg lock game, especially in Australia, is Craig Jones at the moment, um, who, who, you know, there's quite a few rising stars. Um, and also the Danaher Death Squad, they're the, they're the big thing nowadays, right, Nick? And yeah. all his guys are... Excellent leg locks, you know, and uh, a guy that we follow in terms of instructionals and technique is, uh, as uh, you know, Gordon Ryan. I don't know who that is. You know Gordon Ryan? <laughs> no. Are, are you no. serious? No. Does he know me? Mate, <laughs> he's probably like the the best no-gi like, submission grappler of, of all times, just due to his ADCC record. What? Who's he pinned? <laughs> who the fuck is oh, wait. he pinned? Who's he camouflaged? <laughs> or Tombstone, right, Nick? <laughs> Because pro wrestling, Billy Robinson was the greatest <laughs> no-gi grappler of all time. All right, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah this yeah. guy hasn't pinned anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, um, yeah. So those are the, the big names nowadays. Danaher's that guy who wears these um, rash guard everywhere he goes. <laughs> Mate, Danaher's probably one of the, the most decorated coaches. You may be a pompous twat, right? Oh. Like, would you be taking me seriously if I was here in my taekwondo gi? Yeah, but I wouldn't care about your personality. I'm there to learn jujitsu off you. Yeah, well, that may be, but still. Pompous twat. Yeah. That is one thing that I don't like, actually, in the strength conditioning and also the, the martial arts world is the sense of, of arrogance that can sometimes be portrayed and the sense of pompousness. <laughs> That's funny because you're pompous. What right? the f- <laughs> How am I pompous? It's, you're always like you're trying to, like, teach me the gospel or something. When I say, well, uh, how do you identify this? Well, they can technically break it down on the molecular level. <laughs> But that's just the way I teach, mate. I, I break it down to the to the molecular level. <laughs> so you that's teach like a pompous twat. It's not about being pompous, right? But if I want to teach you properly, I'm going to teach you properly, okay? Right. And it's like teaching you shoulder injuries without understanding the physiology of the shoulder. 
Right. Well, obviously, when you talk to me, you should be talking like you're addressing a genius. Yeah. Okay. You were, speak to your audience. Nick Mann right? was one of the, the the best students I had. He, he retained everything I taught him. Right, is that right? This I, is I, the I best student in a class full of mongs. <laughs> oh, talking geez. about. <laughs> Well, well, you know, the best student is still the best student. <laughs> <laughs> and the most important brick in no. the least important wall. As a lecturer, okay, you want to make sure that your point comes across and whatever you teach is being attained, right? Retained. Uh, retained and attained. So, yeah. So, Nick, <laughs> you managed to do all that very quickly and you learned everything that I taught you without having <laughs> to me to repeat it two or three times. Which so shows who, aptitude Who and is arrogant and pompous, according to you, in the uh, strength and conditioning game? I don't want to name any names. Oh, right? come on, mate. <laughs> Dave Palermo. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not name names. Today. <laughs> All right. But there are certain characters, like Instagram characters, that you dislike yes, strongly. Yes, I, I, I do, I do just dislike a, a lot of uh, Instagram so-called uh, characters somewhat strongly, only because of the fact that it can sometimes be portrayed as a popularity contest. And a lot of people feel this sense of entitlement and accomplishment just because they've had X amount of followers. But are they giving valuable information? The, well... Do they know their stuff? The ones that I follow do, and the ones that people follow aesthetically most likely don't. There was a nice little Instagram post that I saw, <coughs> and it was... <coughs> coughing. Yeah. A, ch a chick showing off her butt, 1,000 followers, whereas a guy giving out valuable information... 20 followers. And there was a meme that I saw. And funnily enough, I did try to use the same thing. They say sex sells, Nick, right? So I put up a post about, I can't remember what it was, about slings training, or, you know, or uh, talking about the myofascial lines and force transference with uh -huh. my top on, right? 50 followers. Did something very similar with my top off and doing a chin up, 250 followers. Or was that me doing a kettlebell press? Either one. <clears throat> what does that tell you? Um... Just based on that little experiment that we did, that I did. I don't know, was it peer-reviewed? <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a lot of fucking, there was a sample size pretty big, fucking between 50, yeah. first one, and 270 for the second one. So yeah. Maybe you just sound better with your shirt off. Or <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. It's uh, all about aesthetics. Well, not all about aesthetics, but there is a big element about that. Well, Especially in the fitness industry. Like, would you listen to a fat guy telling you how to get shredded? Well, no. You got to look the part, right? Yeah, that's, of course. That's a part of it's, the it's job like, description. It's like a mechanic with a with a, with a messed up broken car. Okay. Exactly like that. Yeah. yeah. So. So. You got to practice what you preach, but <clears throat> it does not necessarily mean that that is the be all end all. Just because you have a six pack, because you know how to train, doesn't mean you know how to communicate to other people regarding training. Nor does it necessarily mean you know how to coach as well. Right. Or nor does it mean you actually understand. <clears throat> the core principles of anatomy, physiology, biomechanics, and physics, right? Do, do you just hate beautiful people? No, I don't, I don't hate beautiful people. I, I hate ignorant people. That's right. And uh, people that <laughs> yeah, are quite complacent regarding their, their understanding <clears throat> and their, I guess, their, their competence level. I mean, as a strength conditioning coach, it is our job to keep ourselves updated. And it's our job to make sure we know the fundamentals of anatomy, physiology, basic nutrition, mm -hmm. right? Um, periodization. Okay, so you hate the ignorant people on there, the beautiful people who don't know anything about how to train the individual yes, other than themselves. because, Nick, as you know, this industry <coughs> is potentially saturated of incompetence. But it's also, as you say, saturated with pompous people who are arrogant. Yeah, so 
a good friend of mine, Sophia Tumbus, by the way, who gave us the inspiration for this po- podcast, Sophia. Thank you very much. She spoke about the different levels of competence. You have confident and competent. You have confident, not competent, and then you have not confident and competent. <coughs> right? Does that make sense to you? So yeah. You have, you have a lot of people yes. that, that know what, they do, what, what, what they're saying and they actually are quite, you know, confident regarding it. You have some people that have no idea what the fuck they're talking about <clears throat> and they're very confident. You have, you have people that are very confident yet, so they're not very confident yet know what they're talking about. So, so which ones do you dislike out of that one? Uh, the confident <clears throat> and not competent. Oh, well, that's fair enough. Eh? Yeah. Because I just hate them all evenly. So <laughs> <clears throat> What's that joker? I'm, I'm not racist. I hate everyone equally. <laughs> we had that from, right. from our wrestling coach, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, topics. Topic. Oh, sorry. Wow. How, how long has it been already? At least 10 minutes and not even the topic. That's fine. That's why we have a good fun. <clears throat> Nick, you told me the concept between a martial artist and a fighter. Talk me, talk me about that. What do you mean? The difference or the concept or the whole philosophy altogether? Oh, uh, well, um, I guess you have this thing about combat sports, which is where the fighter is mm-hmm. residing, mm-hmm. Uh, against martial arts like the traditional karate, what mm-hmm. have you. <clears throat> I guess the main difference is one of them actually works in a fight and the other one is more of a performance piece. Yep. Uh, and, of course, this breeds different people. Yeah. And so in, uh, we'll put a broad spectrum of um, combat sports. We'll say anything that with a with sport attached to it. So jiu-jitsu, wrestling, boxing, kickboxing, all that jazz against mar- the traditional martial artist. So we'll go through anything. <clears throat> it's the polar opposite of that. It doesn't have a sport attached to it. Mm. Okay. So with the combat sports, it's always breeding that competitive style, that competitive ego. And that's really the only reason to train something like that is to fight to win. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you get the real competitive atmosphere and the traditional martial artists have always somewhat been against that because it goes against their traditional views of um, non-violence and non-competitiveness. <clears throat> Whereas um, in like a jiu-jitsu club, you're more likely to encounter an asshole mm. who's just out to hurt people or... Um, yep. Is less concerned about self-development and more about, you know, dominating others and competition. Right? I mean, you've sort of dabbled in both. Judo sort of is a bit of a crossover, is it not? Yes, I mean traditional and combat. In 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 terms of judo, I remember there was two ways of attaining a black belt. One of them was the competitive way, which most of us in the club went through. In which case, you know, you, you win a few competitions and, you know, you, your time serving competition as well as in training uh, will start to accumulate towards your black belt. And the other one was basically, sorry, based on pure service, in which case was uh, being a service to the club, you know, helping coach, basically being a coach and teaching to attain your black belt. <coughs> what about technical proficiency? Well, of course, both needed a technical proficiency as well. And in terms of judo, we had... Uh, to attain our black belt, we need need to do a, a certain kind of kata grading. I'm not sure what it's what it's not like now, but I've been away from judo for at least ten years now. Is that with a partner? Yes. So you and your partner will be, I guess you can say, uh, grading for your black belt for your first gen. In which case, yeah, you need to memorize and synchronize a series of kata based movements 
together. So throws. And Even all. without grabbing a hold of them or what? With, with, with grabbing, you know. So, no, so it's like so different to like a karate. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Very different. It's, it's a partner-based kata right. where one needs to react and one needs to act. Well, did you I mean, find a difference between the competitors and the... Absolutely. I mean, I mean, in, in, in my club, in my generation, most of us were competitors. But one way or another, you know, some of us became, you know, national champions <coughs> and state champions and Commonwealth Games representatives and Olympic representative, but it was competition one way or another. Mm. Even, at, you know, even at the local level, it was still competition. In the gym? Yeah. Yeah, well, in the, it was a competitive gym, and of course, most of us were competing. Well, I sort of came up on um, traditional martial arts. <clears throat> well, half of my martial arts career has been dedicated to that. And my first, um, my Taekwondo coach, we did no contact sparring. Oh, so yeah. the goal of it was to get as close to your partner as you could without healing them. Yeah. And he was really big on we don't compete because it's against you know the, the laws of self-defense and that it teaches you bad habits to punches. pull your punches, to not strike the groin. Okay. All this sort of thing. Oh, I, I can kind of see the point. I can kind of see the point. There's an element of truth yeah, to that. But it's also a way of getting around it. Mm. You know, does what you do actually work? <clears throat> because yeah. you can't train it against the resist. Well, at least they don't train it against a resisting opponent. So you're putting a lot of faith mm. in there. And I felt that I had to sort of change my mentality going from traditional martial arts like um, Taekwondo and then going into kickboxing mm. where you had to show more aggression or at least more assertiveness in your sparring where the goal is to dominate someone. Mm not just to have the best control mm. and sort of look the best. And I think with competition, it, taught me a, it took me a very long time to become <clears throat> more competitive and then try to have the mentality and training of being better than other people rather than just bettering yourself, mm. which I guess they go hand in hand, but it's a little more um, open in combat sports that the goal is to be better than everyone else. Mm -hmm. But as you know, some people can be quite proficient in terms of training and sparring, but then when the accumulated anxiety and so-called pressure surmounts during <clears throat> during a fight or a comp, they can only present half of themselves or maybe 50% performance, so to speak. I mean, what does that mean? You know what I mean? You know what I say? In other words, they can be awesome in training, but then they'll only yeah. show 50% of themselves in competition due to you know, competition anxiety. Some people aren't good in those kind of no, not everyone's sort of made for competition. Not everyone wants to compete. And, mm. you know, you see some people sort of pushing themselves into it because they feel they have to. Yeah. And just performing poorly because they don't want to be there or yeah. nerves get the best of them or whatever it is. But which one's really creating the better person? I don't know. Like, uh, I know there's this concept about um, the warrior in fighting. What's that? Martial arts in general. Well... They say always have this warrior mentality, you never say quit. Um, a lot of people like to call on the code of Bushido or the, um, is that other Mark one? The Spartans. Yeah, yeah. Several people say, oh, I've got a Spartan heart because I'm a warrior. But mm. it's so far removed from it um, because you're not a warrior if you train martial arts. You're just a martial art. You're just a guy who trains martial arts. If you're a fighter, you're a guy who gets in the ring and performs for money. Being a mm. warrior has got to deal with life and death. So you're more. it's more realistic to call a warrior someone you know, in the military mm. or even a police officer that's actually but dealing with real-world violence. How about professional fighters where their livelihood is fighting? They're technically warriors. They're athletes. And if that's yeah, the case, true. then a professional basketball player is a fucking warrior as well. Yeah, but he's not, you know, fighting someone, striking him to the head. But and, he has to win. And choking right. him. And it's still mm. just competition. Mm. So there is that big difference there. And <clears throat> I think a lot of that's... Um, that's, I guess it's the same as fucking fitness slogans and that kind of thing. 
mm. whatever it takes to get these people to buy their shit. And for that, it seems to be warriorism. Yeah. Well, you, you, you are, you're quite a sceptical person, Nick, and so am I. So we tend to criticise and things like that. But like anything else, it's, you know, if, if it gives them faith and it gives them an, an intrinsic edge or it inspires and motivates them to, to become more competitive, then by all means, I reckon whatever they believe in, if yeah. it helps them, that's fine. Yeah, well, it's a part of sports psychology, right, mm. and um, performance. But then again, sports psychology isn't for mental health. It's just about winning. Mm. It's not about being a better person or, you know, yeah. liking yourself or the person you've become. It's just about winning. And, I mean, we, we know a lot of athletes that are quite, you know, proficient and mentally strong regarding competition, but then every other element of their life, it's, it's quite dysfunctional, right? So right. that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be the, the healthiest and the the mentally healthiest people in the world either. Yeah. yeah, so you're more likely to get a more balanced person from a traditional martial art? Well, depends. Depends. Some people need that fight and some people need to, you know, uh, give everything they've got and, and, and be the warrior in order for them to be, to be balanced. Because, <laughs> as you know, a lot of people uh, are angry and, and I guess despite and, and I guess spiteful because of the fact that they've never achieved what they wanted to achieve in their life. And I guess it's that human nature of if you feel like you haven't lived a life that you can potentially live, you know, to the best of your ability, you're more likely to be spiteful, right, Nick? What do you think regarding that? You're quite the philosopher yourself. Well, you'll be more spiteful. You'll be more spiteful if you, if you hadn't given everything you had and knowing that you've, you've attempted to give the best version of yourself in, in your life. And failed. Yeah. It's, be... it's better to have tried and failed than never tried at all. And have that satisfaction of knowing, rather than looking back in anger and being that grumpy old man. They go, "Oh, I could have been me if I had, you know, if I'd done this, if I'd done that." But if you get, a, if you get, a, gave it a good crack, by the time you're forty, you know, there's nothing else for you to to regret because you've done everything you can, and that'll make you more yeah. at peace, so to speak. If you're gonna have that self resentment. It's probably gonna come regardless of what you've done, because mm. you could always do better. Exactly. Things could have always been better. Like so. you could have won that competition, or you know. Rather than coming second, that kind of stuff. Yeah, you came second in the nationals, didn't you? Yeah, what? Yeah, you should have come yeah. first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I won a lot of silver medals in my life. <laughs> uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm one of those guys that I either do really well or I really messed it up big time in competition. So, is that due to a technique breakdown or what breaks first? I don't know. I mean, I just get caught up in this in this moment where I'm either too amped up or not amped up at all. Um, in terms of sports psychology, we call it, uh, what do you call it, the, the, the perfect state of flow, which is we you find that even balance between, you know, uh, high level arousal and, and lack of arousal, you know. You remember that sports psychology, Nick, back in first uni? Yeah. 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 So I'm either, I'm always most likely too amped up or too aroused. <coughs> and that makes me lose my, you know, my, my detailed, uh, I guess fine motor skills sometimes makes me fucking not spaz out, but I lose a technique. Bit. Yeah. yeah. And that will start to affect my technique, of course. So the times that you've performed best in comp, how was it leading into it? Not the camp itself, but before you stepped onto the mat. I actually focused on one fight at a time. I found the best for me. That was pan packs. Um, the best pan packs I had when I won gold in 2014. And I literally focused on one fight at a time. And that's all. And I didn't know how many in my division. I didn't know how many fights the final. I just focused on winning the next fight and the next fight and the next fight. And eventually I did. And even the final, I didn't think I'd actually beat this guy because he was subbing every man left, right and center. He was at least six foot two. 
and I was only five foot ten, five foot eleven, under eighty eight kilograms, and I ended up beating him by an advantage. So you had the advantage. Yes, I did. Yeah. I I didn't think I could beat him. I I thought I was going to go in there and just do the best that I can, and Were I won. And I surprised up myself. When you went in, or what? Not at all, actually. I I, I just <clears throat> said to myself, all right, I'm just going to think of this like a roll. And I did. And the times that I have where I was meant to win, I, I didn't win at all. So, <laughs> just gives you that spectrum, you know, so, and the polarity. How about yourself? expectation play a role in that? What? I think it does to me. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's just if I think that I should, you know, for instance, if, the, if, if my opponent is a lot better than I thought, kind of surprises me, takes me back, and then I kind of puts me in a negative mind frame, in which case I start to... Uh, to lose presence and focus, and that's how I lose. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and there's a thing of extrinsic <coughs> versus intrinsic um, motivation. Yeah, right. And the intrinsic one's supposed to be a more powerful motivator because it's something like you actually want it, rather than relying on something external like the praise of your coach or uh, yeah. a trophy to motivate yeah. you to perform exactly. well. Exactly. Exactly. Right. I've always, you know, as as a former competitor, well, current competitor as well. I'm not going to quit competition altogether. I always think. You know, what I don't want to die wondering. I don't want to go to the grave, you know, be eighty years old and say, oh, "What could I have done? What could I have done?" You know, so, the way of the car, I've exactly. <laughs> done the noose. What? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I always, I'm always willing, willing to give it a good crack. You know, and for me, if I have nothing to attain to or nothing to to achieve, then I have no goal, and if I have no goal, I have no purpose. And I always say to myself, "What am I doing for if I have no purpose?" <laughs> yeah. Which give comes you know, brings us to the point of purpose. You disagree with the point of purpose. Right? <laughs> Tell yeah. the audience about that, Nick Man. <laughs> Show them the Nick Man dark philosophy. <laughs> well, it's not like an idea of a purpose is a bad thing, but having this preconceived idea of I'm put on this earth to fight or I'm put on earth to do this is just arrogance, which you hate. Don't I you? do hate arrogance. Think that you're so special that you've been given this purpose in life to do. And it's just bollocks. It's just like a blank slate. You do what you so, want with it. But so how do you empower something. yourself then? So in that case, how do you empower yourself? And <coughs> to make yourself believe that you're, you're not just an average Joe. But you are an average Joe. You just do different things. Well, I guess <laughs> everyone's definition of average Joe is different, right? Everyone's definition of therefore mediocrity is different. Right? Some people think that being fat is mediocrity. Other people think that being poor is mediocrity. Other people think that lack of experience is mediocrity. Right. That's what I say. So if you are happy with mediocrity, then fine. But if you want something better, you have to empower yourself to, 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 to be better. You mean just like want more? It's got nothing to do with having a purpose. It's just wanting yeah. more out of life. Willing exactly. to work harder for things. Yeah. But, you know, say your purpose is fighting... Mm. So you retire, then what is it? Then you have to change it. Of course. Then right? it'll so be, it's going to be being a fluid a, thing. Of course, there always needs to be a so-called purpose or a goal. Otherwise, what drives you? What keeps you going? You know. So my purpose and goal right now is potentially to have a family and, and be a good man and, and have a comfortable lifestyle where I don't have to rely on other people for my finances. So if you is didn't to have be that independent. Goal, you wouldn't have a purpose. Financially independent. <laughs> what? So if you didn't have a goal, 
and you didn't have that purpose, would you kill yourself? <laughs> you don't have a goal. Oh, God, that, that, that went from zero to one pretty quick, mate. I wouldn't say that, but it would, it, I would feel disempowered. But you'd be mediocre without that goal. It's not about being mediocre. It's about dis- being disempowered. Now, I think everyone should, have, should be empowered. If they're not empowered, they're disempowered. Disempowering, being disempowered is one of the, the ment- mentally unhealthiest thing one person could ever. But not have. everyone can be empowered. Empowered. Not in power, empowered. Yeah. So does the average Joe have goals or a purpose if you're above them for having a purpose? Well, sometimes the average Joes do have goals and purpose, but they they may not meet them for for certain reasons, like that's the psychological effect of self-sabotage. What's keeping them alive? What's that? What's keeping them alive? I, I don't know. You know? What do you think? Well, it's it's a very subjective thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like some person's purpose might be to collect magazines or something. You don't know. If they believe their purpose is to collect magazines and they're doing it and, and, and they're following and they're, and they're congruent to themselves and they're aligning with their values and views, then yeah, amazing. And that's not that's to fun. say that there is an absolute purpose then. It's just a subjective thing that you place on your life to give it meaning when really it doesn't mean anything. Because well, it's, this, this it's comes an arbitrary our, purpose. This comes to each individual's belief of existence. Why do we exist? Why, you know, what is my, my role in this existence? Right? You don't have one. That'd be to suggest once again that you have this preconceived role and who's giving it to you? Unless you have God. If you take God out of the picture, mm. then there is no purpose to live yeah. other than what you give it. Do you believe exactly. in God? You're a, you're a pretend religious man, aren't you? You're posing as a Muslim uh, for a while? Oh, uh, well, you know. Uh, I, I come from numerous religious backgrounds with my with my family, but look, I do believe that there is a greater power out there, and I do believe that there are forces outside of our realm. Hulk Hogan <laughs> and the Ultimate Warrior, Nick, or what? Fucking badass. Uh, so therefore, I, I do believe in 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 so called spirituality, so forth. So I, I do believe that you know there are also other realms and worlds out there that are not ours, so to speak, right? Some call, maybe may call it the paranormal. Some may call it something else, but I do believe in that, yes. Ghosts. Well, not ghosts, Nick. I, I, I'm more so in the, the belief of entities. An entity is a ghost, right? What's... A ghost is an entity, so forth. But, you know, we just call them ghosts. Is it a dead person? Else. Well, potentially if someone's spirit has passed to another... Do you mean they've died? They've died. And their spirit have has left their body, it goes to a different so-called you know universe or so-called different dimension. Okay. That is not our dimension. Okay. So some may call them ghosts. Do they all get? Wait. So how do people see ghosts? So technically, dimension? these these so-called ghosts are entities that are trapped between two dimensions: our dimension and their dimension, which is the paranormal. They're like the. Um ghost with Patrick Swayze where no. he gets trapped because he, he has to do something <laughs> is that the premise <laughs> so they've got like missions oh, that's right yeah, die, yeah. yeah unfinished business that, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it like that potentially be I mean we're just talking about in a very simplistic way and is their purpose like to shake walls and <laughs> jingle chains and open and closed doors and kind of thing? <laughs> potentially if, 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 if they're mal- malicious malicious what are yeah. the good ones breaking the cast so I, I just we talked about the, the concept of, of, of theories and frequency by, by Hubble and uh, was it by, the, by Doppel and relates to the theory of relativity regarding the universe by Albert Einstein. 
Go on. Essentially, it talks about the fact that that frequencies and, and waves are, I guess you can say, channels of communication and movement throughout the universe. And according to this, there are also uh, potential expansion of the universe, well, which, which implies the fact that there could be other dimensions besides ours. Implies. Implies. Okay, so there isn't definitive proof of this. There isn't definitive proof, but after, you know, we spoke about it last time and there is some visibility regarding this concept. No, this is when you started drawing so, diagrams. Yeah, went on with frequencies bender. and... Your yeah. main thing was that when uh, you die, your spirit or entity, entity, as you call it, it leaves, goes to another dimension, yep. a dimension full of entities. Yes. Right, and sometimes they get trapped. And what did you base this on? What's that? You said that you could actually read the frequency of an individual. There was a study that talks about what was the, regarding the, the NDMA receptor, which is a receptor um, of, of, was it, of neurons, which is nerve cells. And people that have autism apparently lack this NDMA receptor. Right. And, and this receptor is able to, I guess you can say, um, not computerize, but I guess analyze and I guess you can say absorb uh, the reading of someone else's potential, you know, body language, emotions, and their levels of subcommunication. Subcommunication, <laughs> right? Yeah. And how does that relate to um, your throwback between the frequency being the spirit that can be measured? Oh yeah. So your um, missus talked about the fact that you know these people that are of the paranormal they can use these electromagnetic and light signals, and I guess you can say identifies to potentially um, find uh, these so-called entities or spirits. You can actually, you know, use magnets, and you can actually use electrical magnet, magnetic forces and, and channels to actually find the readings, as well as sound. And how do you jump from that to the existence of ghosts? What do you mean? Uh, what, what, what's the well, question? Well, you're using this theory, right, to say yeah. that there are such things as ghosts. So, you, so yeah. Right? How do you yeah. jump from being able to read a frequency to the existence of an entity? Well, if every single being in this universe uh, emits and channels frequencies and absorbs frequencies, as, as you can say, as, as subcommunication, then potentially you can also quantify the frequency of these entities as a ghost. Because there are potential, you know, ghost... You know, How would you know that you're reading machine. a ghost? What do you mean? How would you know? So, <laughs> all right. So, so we all have you should a be able to pick up this frequency and we can all in have, have waves. Yes. There isn't a person. Okay. So, from what I've seen, if you go to a you know a so-called haunted place where there is an entity present, you can actually quantify I can, the frequency of the entity using a machine, and you can also see it's 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 it's, it's reading of heat. So reading of heat is also a potential indicator, and also you know, like body heat. Body heat, yeah. Yeah. So the entities have body heat. That, as well. They they can they can emit heat. They can emit coldness. They can emit any kind of temperature, from what I've read and from what I've seen. So and they can also make sound. Does this thing? Does this machine pick up cold and hot? And read it as the same thing. Mate, I don't and know about the machine. I'm not a I'm not a ghost hunter, right? <laughs> 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 yeah, no, this just sounds like total fucking bollocks. <laughs> 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 I mean, if Scooby Doo caught you, there's an old man oh, in the no. mask. Right? But that is no, there is no old man in the mask. There's nothing is, there, though. What's that? 
They're just saying, oh, look, the machine's picking up a frequency. Picking up a reading. You can't see what it is. It could be anything. Yeah. And it, how do you even personify an entity as having these qualities? Well, of course. How could they even be a machine to be able to interpret something from another dimension like that? Okay, well, if you can't see it, and it creates sound, noise, it creates what noise, kind of sound, sounds? heat. Like jangling chains <laughs> or what? Well, I don't know. Look, look up Paranormal Activities, Nick. No, not the not movie. movie. <laughs> All right. Look up fucking Google Paranormal Activities and, and, and just look at it. And like, last it. time I looked up any of this, yeah. which was how to summon a demon, you got really freaked out. Yeah. Right? That's because I don't want to mess with that, Nick, because I do believe that there is a paranormal world outside of ours. And if we disturb it, you are causing a disturbance of two parallel universes so? that can cause potential... I can say damage or any kind of infliction of, of misery and pain to you or whoever summons it. So you're scared. It's going to mess you up, Nick. You summon them, <laughs> you're going to mess the F, <laughs> F you up, mate. Just don't play around with that shit. Well, what's it going to do? Can you read it when it's here? At least get the camera out to prove that it <laughs> Well, if, you, if your technology is strong enough and you have we the right... We could be world famous. If I summon a demon I'm in not this gonna, lounge room... I'm not going to be hanging around when you summon a demon, mate. I'm just <laughs> get like, fuck, get the hell out of here. Instagram, right? <laughs> I'll be world famous. Oh, jeez. Exercise your demons. <laughs> You've got the kettlebell here for that, mate. <laughs> Go through some bench press. <laughs> oh, that comes to my next point of uh, the gym plan, gym where that I was meant to release, but never got around to it because of COVID, damn it. Um, you still had some of those, didn't you? The gym pun t-shirts. Yes, World famous. I yes, I did. And one of them was, yep, exercise your demons. And the other one was, uh, um, was it? Uh, <laughs> going, what? It was a. Uh, I want a strong coffee. I want a strong coffee. Yeah, yeah date coffee one. There was, there was a weights before dates. That was a cool one that, that I had. What was the picture? Uh, it, it was it was a, a date lifting a weight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, comic genius. Comic genius. Um, another one was uh, no ain't no cardio bunny, and it was a it was a, it was a cute little rabbit doing some squats. How cool is cute? <laughs> Girls love that shit. Yeah. Uh, cool. And why don't, you, why don't you tell the audience about our new mascot? That what's what's our new logo going to be, Nick? Oh, T-bone steak in a gi doing a bicep curl. That's awesome. Uh pending. Yeah, really. When is that going to come out? By the way, I don't know. <laughs> Sometime soon. Look out for it. It'll be on all the top websites. Yep, yep. We will be releasing gi's weights and T-bone steak uh, hoodies, jumpers, and everything else. It's going to be a Absolutely. Yeah. Empire. It's got an empire, Nick. Yeah. The, the Maxim Man. <laughs> empire. Nah, it's something that, that's pretty cool we can kind of play around with. Um, yeah. How did that come out? How did we talk about that? Oh, exercising your demons. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we were get a demon to do bench press. Jeez. Uh, All right. What a load of bollocks. What a load of bollocks. So, uh, We've, we've covered a lot tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I think we really answered a few questions there. That's For right. our ever-increasing fan base there. Nothing wrong with that, Nick. Nothing wrong with that. Nope. So, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes <laughs> our second segment of Geese Weights and T-Bone Steak. Stay tuned next week when Nick Man and myself talk about the struggles of a combat <laughs> athlete and any man or woman herself. <laughs> Right. The struggle. <laughs> yes. All yeah, right. We will. Okay. Yeah. Until then, ladies and gents, thank you for listening to us. We look forward to you hearing about us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, while I was talking. See you guys. Bye. <laughs>